this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about being part of a spiritual family. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Friday. How you doing, Josh? Kenny, I'm doing really well. I've had beautiful weather here. My uh, mom and dad have been in town for a few days, and Jana and I are actually about to head up to, to South Carolina, see some friends, and I'll do some bike riding up there. So it's going to be a good weekend. Well, good for you. Even as we speak, I have somebody in the other room fixing an air conditioner for the Embry house. That will be a very welcome return home for, for something that we have missed for a little while. As we said, you know, at least at least it chose this week to go out. It could have chosen much worse weeks to go out. You're not wrong. This past week, you went back to the idea of the remnant. What does it mean in a spiritual way that we're part of the same family? The passage we use, for, for those who hadn't by chance listened to the sermon, we, we use Nehemiah 5. And of course, in the Old Testament, we're dealing with a, a physical nation, all descendant of one person. So they are family. But there had come a, an issue among God's people that there were those who were wealthy among them who were oppressing their less fortunate brethren. And so what Nehemiah, through, you know, of course, God's instruction is, is saying to them, how can you do this to your brothers? And it's not that God would want uh, Israel to, um, you know, ill-treat anyone mm-hmm. or to mistreat anyone. Right. But you are a family. And what does this say about God when you are treating your own family that way? So when we come to the spiritual relationship, um, that is a, 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 a concept that's come throughout. I've been teaching in the college class right now in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, as it's, as it's making the point of Jesus being so much better, first in chapter 1 than the angels, and then in chapter 2, talking about how Jesus is better than Moses, and yet the Hebrew writer deals with the issue of, well, why did Jesus, if he is so much better, why did he become human? Mm-hmm. And the point that the author makes in Hebrews 2, 10, 11 is that this was so he would not be ashamed to call them brothers or brethren. Mm-hmm. And, and so if God has deigned that his son would come and live in the flesh, also he could share a relationship with us, a familial relationship with us. Well, that means yeah. that's something I ought to take uh, pretty seriously. And then, you know, Ephesians 2 is one of the great chapters in the Bible that deals with, you know, what God has done for us. And so you start in chapter one by looking at about how we were dead uh, but God has made us alive through his grace and mercy. And then Paul pivots in the second part of that chapter uh, in talking about not only how the Jews who had gone away, but the Gentiles who were far off, but now God has brought them near. And he uses succession of terms to describe what people had in a relationship with God now. So now they were fellow heirs. Mm-hmm. They are fellow citizens. They are part of God's family or his household. And then it concludes with how they are God's temple, the very dwelling place of God. And so this is something that God wants us to see. It's important that we understand that 
as he has put the family relationship here on earth and that we ought to learn some things from that. What does it mean for a child to respect a, a father and a mother's authority? What does it mean for children to love each other, even though they sometimes get on each other's nerves? What does it mean for a family to stay together in hard times? God is saying, that's what's true of my family. And it's important that God's people see each other in that way. Yeah. One of the things that you were talking about, though, was that that people in the worldly family would, would sometimes despise one another. And uh, let me ask you this. Why is, I mean, I've got kids, you do too. My kids despise each other all the time. <laughs> Why is this idea of despising yeah. one another a big deal? Does that mean we shouldn't recognize the imperfections of others? I mean, my kids will find the imperfections of each other all day long. Yeah. That, that where we went, where we were when we talked about the despising each other was in Matthew 18, where in other passages give the context of John had told Jesus about this, this other brother who was doing works, but he wasn't and significantly. John says he wasn't following us. He doesn't say he, what he's not following you, Jesus. John says right. he's not following us. So right. we forbade him from, from doing this. And it's in that context that, that Jesus then says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Um, and, and again, we, we think of despise and we do think of it in these very, very harsh terms. And a lot of the times that is. And, and again, I, I see that within my own, my own children. That, that is a real <laughs> thing. Yeah. But if we're not careful, we all can wind up despising a lot of things. And what that means is simply we're, we're looking down on other things. We're seeing them as being less than us. Um, we'll, we'll get to our uh, uh, obligatory uh, C.S. Lewis quote early in the episode, but in mere, in mere Christianity, in, in his little section on pride, he has perhaps my favorite quotation about pride, and it is, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And I think that's why God is very much concerned with how we are are looking at each other. And if I'm always looking down on others, if I'm despising them, then what am I not doing? I'm not looking up. I'm not looking to how God has treated me. I'm not looking at how God wants me to treat others. I'm only concerned with the foibles and the mistakes and the, the poor attitudes of others. And I'm always looking down Yeah. and I'm missing what's most important. I think one of the other things when I think about my kids and, and really we could, when we think about being in a family, being in a family is hard. And, and, and part of it is there's, there's a jockeying for position among children that, that what they're doing is, is they, <laughs> I think it's about my kids and none of my kids, any of them have ever wanted to be wrong about anything. I, I remember saying, uh, you know, I don't need you to, to fight with me on this. And, and they said, I'm not fighting. I'm, I'm just telling you why I'm right. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, you have just defined what, what a fight is. Um, and well, it's not a fight. If you just agree with them, Kenny, <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I think that that idea of being in a family and is, it, it's just a hard thing because as a parent, from a parent's perspective, 
when I'm pointing out faults in my better moments, it's to make my kids better. I, I would love to say that's always what happens. Sometimes my, my kids just make me angry and I'm pointing out faults to make myself feel better. I, I have to admit that. But but by the same token, I mean, in the long run, I want my kids to be better. But I don't think that we always do that. And I think your your Lewis quote is exactly right. What's the motivation of you pointing out the faults of others? Is it so that you can stand a little bit taller or so that you can bring somebody up to your level or higher? Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, and that, you know, the well-known passage uh, in you know Matthew 7 about judge not that you be not judged. And then, of course, Jesus goes into the, you know, how can you, you know, get the, point out the speck in your brother's eye when you've got the beam or the log coming out of your own eye. Yeah. And of course, what Jesus is saying is exactly what you're talking about. What's your purpose and intent in, in seeing the speck in your brother's eye? If your purpose and intent is concern for your brother, then that's noble. That's good. Mm-hmm. But if your purpose and intent is just to say, ha, huh, look at how messed up you are. <laughs> <laughs> then you, you're really missing the point. You, you, right. You've got some things to deal with. And of course, Jesus concludes that by saying, first remove the log or the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to help your brother. Uh, intent and purpose is everything in this. Well, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I, I think the other thing, see if you agree with this. Sometimes the, the thing that is the most hidden to me is my intent and my purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's awfully easy to assume that my motives are good because I'm doing whatever it is. And sometimes I, got, I, I just got to check myself thinking, nah, I don't know if that's really what I'm doing it for. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. What does it mean? You also referenced that, that, we, that we need to fear God. What does it mean that we, that we do fear God? So going back to the context, uh, again, of Nehemiah 5. So Nehemiah, uh, first in verse 9, issued the challenge to the people that they needed to fear God. Yeah. And then later on in verse 15, as we begin to hear about how Nehemiah had conducted himself uh, with not taking uh, certain food allowances and taxation and not being a burden on the people, even though he was the governor, and it points out this was because Nehemiah did fear God. Right. And in the context of the Old Testament, it's the fear of God that, that motivates you to live your life in accordance with a certain standard. Otherwise, why not? You know, if you have the opportunity uh, to enrich yourself and to gain more land and to have others working for you, well, why wouldn't you do that? Right. Well, fear of God, fear of someone who is greater than you. Yeah. And that aspect is certainly true in the New Testament as well. You know, Jesus would would urge his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 to not fear those who can kill the body, but to fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That that idea of living according to God's standard because of who he is, that is a, a significant motivator. Now, with that being said, John, uh, to our knowledge, the the oldest uh, of the apostles and the last of the uh, living apostles when he writes 1 John, makes the point in 1 John 4 and verse 18 that when love is perfected, it casts out fear. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the scripture is, is being inconsistent. 
I think all of us start off and we need to start off with fear of God. That holds you to a standard. That that says to you, here's why you do it this way, even though it may not be what you want to do. God is greater than you and he is to be feared. Right. But as your relationship with God continues and you have experienced God's blessings and, and seen God's faithfulness and your love for God has grown, it's not that your fear of God has diminished necessarily. It's that you're now acting not because you are in fear of God, but you're acting because you love God. And I think we've talked about this before, even with how we relate and treat our, our parents. You know, there were there were times in our lives where we did things and acted in certain ways simply because we knew mom and dad would be upset if we did it other ways. Yeah. Now we live according to those same codes because we love who they are and what they trained us to be. Yeah. I yeah, that's that's the maturation process that, that as you get older you appreciate different aspects of somebody. And that's 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 awfully important. I I also think that it's I think there's a, a well in in the same way, not that you would upset them, but when I was when I was growing up, dad was just bigger than I was. And I was scared of that. Yeah. And I think there's a sense where where that's awfully simplistic for a child to think of it that way. But God is really bigger than we are. And there's there's a certain I, I realize we always want to put in respect instead of fear. But I think fear is is a very appropriate response to the to the creator of the universe mm-hmm. who has the ability to to wipe us out, you know, at any point that he wants to. And so I think both sense, both senses, the respect and also a little bit of fear and trembling yes. are, are warranted. Both, both covenants begin with that. In the old covenant, you have pretty early on in Israel's history, the, the well-known episode with Nadab and Abihu yeah. offering strange fire to God and God making the point to Aaron, I'll be treated as holy by those who approach me. And then the history of the New Testament church, you have Ananias and Sapphira, lying to Peter and lying to the Holy Spirit and God's justice and punishment coming upon them. And what you read in the text is fear came upon them all. Yeah. God makes that point throughout. He's not to be trifled with. He's not as much as he loves us, as much as he cares for us, as much as he forgives us, as much as he is willing to, to bring us back to him. Don't treat him like you would anything else. He is to be feared and he is holy. That's exactly right. So if we serve such an important God, if we serve such a powerful God, if we serve a God that is basically in control of everything, one of the things that you talked about is the motivation of some people who are, uh, some of the people in, 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 in the Old Testament, we could think about Noah, we could think about Moses. And one of the arguments that they made to God was, you need to consider your reputation among the world. Right. So let me ask you, why do we need to worry about God's reputation? Can't God, the all-powerful God, take care of himself? Well, he he says, you know, he will be honored. His name will be honored. And ultimately, every knee is going to bow. Right. Every knee is going to confess. And so ultimately, God is going to do exactly that. 
In the meantime, and so let's let's think about Israel. You know, Israel, and you look at your history, and, and sometimes even just looking at the geography is significant. You look at mm-hmm. where God placed his people, and he places them in between two dominant empires, or at least regions where dominant empires had been. Egypt to the south and west, Mesopotamia to the north and east, and all these little nations around them. And God wants Israel to be an influence to the nations because the Mm -hmm. nations are all worshiping vanity. They're all worshiping idols. And yet here is Israel, you know, people of the most high true God, and they could have reflected uh, on the name and the glory of God, you know, much the same way as Solomon, when the, when the queen of Sheba comes to, to visit Solomon and she is impressed and, you know, all this, well, this could have been Israel throughout their history. Mm-hmm. but they didn't. They became like the nations. And so then Israel goes away into captivity, and that was the, the quotation from Ezekiel that we used in the morning, that this brought reproach on God's name. Mm-hmm. Because here are the people of the most high God, and yet they're no better than anybody else. Right. And so why would anybody else, whether it be the Moabites or the Ammonites or the Mesopotamians or the Egyptians, why would they want to know more about this Jehovah God? Why would they want to possibly serve him? Well, if Israel had been true to their calling, maybe more of the nations would have paid attention to God and been saved themselves. Same right. thing for us. Yeah. Here we are as God's people. Of all people on earth, we ought to have the most peace. We ought to have the most care and concern and, and charitable giving spirit. Uh, we ought to, you know, not be angry and, and and not just be consumed with the day-to-day happenings in Washington and Wall Street and, and every place else. And if we lived that way and acted that way, that brings glory to the name of God and those around us they see something better. Right. They could be a part of something better. Passage I thought of in connection with this is in in the closing of Ephesians chapter three, as as Paul has commented on how the mystery of God was revealed, you know, through the bringing of Jew and Gentile together in the church. And then Paul says in verse 21, that in the church, there'll be glory brought to God or that that's the purpose of the church. Mm -hmm. That is our purpose. Yeah. Uh, Will God take care of his own reputation? Absolutely. But that's going to happen sometime in the future. Right now, God's people, our purpose is to glorify him because that is how others are going to to know about him and, and to want that relationship with him. So his reputation should be a great concern to his people because that's our hope and that's the hope of the world. Let me see if you agree with this. Um we need to glorify God for the benefit of others because if they don't recognize who God is, they'll lose out on that. Yeah. God, What God gains in this is a family, but one of the things that I've thought a lot about is, and I, I need to send thank you notes for every girl who ever turned me down for a date because they were the wrong one. They were, they were not the ones that quite frankly I wanted because they chose they chose not to go out with me. In the end I have to say good. I found the one that was for me. 
because they because Katie chose me back. God only wants to be the God of those who choose him. And if if other people do not choose God, that is very literally their loss. They will get what they ask for, and they need to respect God now to recognize his reputation now, because now is the time that they can form that relationship. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's And again, that's... That's why the the reputation and the glory of God's name, that's what we should be about. Yeah. I guess to simplify that, God doesn't need it. God wants it, but God doesn't need it. If you want to throw away that relationship, that is your right, that is your choice. But you're not going to be better off for it. You're only going to be worse off for it. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me ask you this. Um, Again... It seems to me that, that throughout this entire sermon, I was just thinking about the, the metaphor of the family. How is the designation Christian a family relationship? And why should that be truly different than any other group we might be a part of? Uh, I'll, I'll give an answer. I'm not sure if it's exactly where you're you're going and we can, we can you know, talk more <laughs> okay. about it. Sure, but I was thinking about this, you know, uh, even within our our congregation, and um, this may go up before Sunday. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but you know, the elders, and for, again, for those listening to the podcast, we were we were spared from you know horrific damage and loss from the recent hurricane, but those to the immediate south of us were not. Right, and we've got brethren down there. They are not a part of our local congregation, but yeah. they're a part of God's family. And so we as a, a congregation of God's people have determined that uh, the contribution that is raised this Sunday is going to go in total to our brethren, our family, who is just south of us. And that is that is something that is good. That is something that is right in keeping with God's will. Um there's a passage sometimes we, we, we go to in Galatians chapter 6 and, and verse 10, where Paul says that while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the truth or the household of faith, I should say. Mm-hmm. So because we are a family, just like your family and my family, that's that's where our first attention goes to. Uh, I have concern for my neighbors. I have concern for you know the people in my community. But I'm always going to see that my family is taken care of first. Yeah. Does not mean that I don't have obligation to others. Does not mean that I should be stingy or or cold-hearted toward others. Not at all. But this is the family. This is God's family. And and so we have an obligation to those first. And so, again, even when we're looking at some of our charitable giving, I I fully expect our brethren to be extremely charitable this coming Sunday. Does not mean they're not charitable to to others, but right. they know this is going directly to their family, and because of that, they're going to put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, I think the other thing is when 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 we think about God as our Father and being part of a family, and kind of like what you're talking about there. Sometimes I have a strained relationship with my brother and sister, and I'm awfully critical of them. 
But if you start criticizing my brother and sister, that's just something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have license because I love them. Uh, you don't. And I'm not ta- talking about you specifically, but I'm just saying there is a bond that happens in family where family, no matter what happens, take care- takes care of their own. That we take care of each other because the relationship is seated in love. It's it's sacrificial. Um, I, I know even if we <laughs> even if we do not like each other, we love each other, and that 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 family relationship is is awfully strong. It was created that way. I am willing to bet that Jesus did not always like what the Pharisees were doing, but he loved the Pharisees at all times. And I, I just keep on thinking about how strong family is and that family is exactly the right designation for what Christians should be. Yeah, It doesn't mean that we always get along, but it does mean we love each other. Does that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and that gets them into oh, some of the greatest challenges that we have is all because it is a family dynamic. Yeah the world can hurt us. No one can hurt you like your own family. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's absolutely true. Um, one of my favorite books and probably movies too is uh, yeah, a river runs through it. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And, you know, the whole point of that is sometimes it's even those who are the closest to you that you have the hardest time helping. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean we don't try, you know, you do, but that's, that's the reality of the situation sometimes because, you know, because this relationship does exist. Um, and it's one to be cherished. It doesn't mean it doesn't have its challenges, but, uh, it's, you know, and if God sees us as his family, and again, that should, that should kind of bring us, you know, some sobriety to, um, the world and how it rejects God that's got to be a painful thing because that's his creation. Mm-hmm. What if his own family rejects him? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Are you going to be speaking next time? Well, I'm going to be in South Carolina. Oh, so, that's right. No, J- JP will be speaking on Sunday. Uh, and he and I have not had a chance to talk this week, so I am not exactly sure what he will be addressing, but I'm confident it'll be a, a good and scriptural lesson. I'm sure it will be. So we'll have a conversation about that next week. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. The sermon we reference in this episode is in the show notes. We have all our information at universitychurchofchrist.org. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.